You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hello, and welcome to another fabulous episode of Dear Multi-Hyphenate. I'm your host, Michael Kushner, and I am tired. <laughs> I only want to keep it real with everyone that listens. Um, but who is feeling the... Who is feeling this pandemic exhaustion? I mean, I know I'm not the only one. Oh my gosh. Um, I think we all are a little tired i'm asking everyone listening during this time to please be easy on yourselves but also please be easy on others we really don't know the battles that we're all dealing with on a day-to-day basis and i need this i need this reminder as well um to just you know give a little more grace to people that might be going through something and the fact that we are creating theater and still going is a herculean effort we have taken that something that has been asleep for a year and a half a billion dollar corporation that has been asleep for a year and a half and life has completely changed during that time and we're figuring out how to continue that experience it's not it's not what we knew before uh 2020 and what it is now is um it's something completely different um and i in this episode of with lee silverman it's an interesting she asks an interesting question about being essential and it got me thinking about how i've been in the industry for 21 years and this year will be 22 years it's pretty much all i know um and again with keeping it real with you all um I've based my worth off of achievements in the industry. I've based others' worth on their achievements in the industry. And even if they've left the industry, I've been like, (laughs) you know, what, what what are they worth to me? And as I work through things in therapy and I work through things with other artists and I work through things with myself, most importantly, I understand that those questions are now going out the window, that that's not what it's about, that it's what this industry should never, ever, ever be about, especially during this time. I survived a pandemic. You survived a pandemic. I think the fact that we're all standing on two feet still, hopefully, and most of us, is um is the herculean effort and 
the 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 things that we get to do that we're lucky enough to do is help bring the industry into a new place but i don't know how i don't know how energized i am to continue on with the same energy that i was doing before the pandemic i'm 30 uh you know i'm in my saturn returns i'm still feeling energized to do something and to make a change but how how much can i put myself for i'm a covid long hauler so i'm i'm battling you know actual health stuff but i'm recently discovering like i have no time for myself i just i actually just had omicron and it was not it was not terrible but i um quarantined and i had you know bad sinus pressure and it was like snotty it was a much different version than the first time but I found myself not being able to relax not being able to take care of myself because I still had deadlines and they were virtual deadlines so I wasn't able to I wasn't able to put myself first even in that time that I needed to um I think that needs to change I think I need to make that change so I want everyone listening to Put yourself forward. Put yourselves first. Because, you know, it's like you have to put the oxygen on your first and then help, you know, your kid. <laughs> um, I think it's I think it's that situation, for me at least, because I want to be able to help the industry. But I want to be able to help myself first. And um, I think as a multi-hyphenate, I have to understand my, my limitations and my boundaries. And I have to, I'm still going to be a multi-hyphenate, of course, and I'm still going to be doing this podcast and my upcoming book and, you know, figuring out projects. But the one, I'm going to be doing all the stuff that I'm doing, but I have to find my limitations. I have to speak up for myself. I have to... I have to learn from everyone that I've had on this podcast, Ashley Kate Adams and, you know, being your own producer and, and one of her biggest things is boundaries and, and I, you know, I, I work with her so closely and when am I going to, and that's something I even talk about, when am I going to listen to myself? So I'm now starting to listen to myself and I hope you start to listen to yourself too. Because the changes that you want to make in the industry, you can't change unless you have the stamina and the emotional capability and the focus and the wherewithal to be able to do it. Because without you, then you can't make that change. So put yourself put yourself forward. Make that change, but also make that change within yourself. If your body is telling you to do something, do it. And that's what I'm going to do. It only took me 30 years to figure that out. I'm really excited for you to listen to this episode with Lee Silverman. There are some technical difficulties, um, but I think the conversation uh, outshines that. If you're a director or a producer, this conversation is really, really something special. There are a lot of really great nuggets of wisdom in there, but I think if you're just in the industry or not in the industry, this conversation, there are a lot of really wonderful things 
insight shared. So I hope you enjoy. Lee Silverman is an incredible director. She has just worked on Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe, starring Cecily Strong, SNL's Cecily Strong, written by Jane Wagner. And she is going to be directing Suffs at the Public Theater. She was also nominated for a Tony Award for her direction of the revival of Violet. She is incredible. uh, And this conversation is really wonderful. So please, please, please comment, rate, subscribe, do all that stuff. Follow on Instagram at Dear Multi Hyphenate or at the Michael Kushner. And if you want to be on the podcast, email me at Dear Multi Hyphenate at gmail.com or submit through my website at Dear Multi Hyphenate.com. And as always, thank you so much to the Broadway Podcast Network, Alan, Dory, Katie, Yo, you're all wonderful. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. All right. So usually how I start a podcast is um, I give a quote and we talk about the quote. But my guest today, Lee Silverman, has, uh, has, has suggested that we start talking about my sweater that I'm wearing. And I'm wearing a lime green cashmere sweater. So Lee, just tell me about your thoughts. I need you to know, listeners, that we have to like really go rogue today and talk about Michael's green cashmere sweater. I can't lime green. I'm sorry. I can't get enough of it. And, um, and I think really that's what we should devote today's podcast to. You know, I was saying I used to get, I was, when I was little, younger, I mean, 16, I was like so obsessed with Ralph Lauren, Ralph Lauren. I used to like, I I used to just like, just, just clamor in those stores and just like beg for something. And, and I used to get one thing per year for Hanukkah. And I was thinking that this was one of the sweaters that I got, but it's not, it's definitely from my grandma. I think I walked into her closet and said, can I have this? And she said, yes. So. Well, I really love it. It really suits you. And um, I think we should just talk about things we got from our grandmothers. So what are some of your favorite things that you got from your grandmother? Well, my grandmother, I only knew one of my grandmothers and um, I I lost her just a couple of years ago. She was my, I I would say like maybe one of the only people who, who has loved me completely unconditionally in my life. She was an amazing woman. She my grandfather left her the day after their 50th wedding anniversary. Um, literally like note on the pillow after 50 years. And um, she was 70 and she lived for another 21 and a half years and she completely rebuilt herself. It was like the most incredible thing. She had this amazing last chapter and it was just glorious and she was the most loving and the most accepting and you know when I came out to her and said I had a girlfriend um she had just been left by my grandfather and she said I don't blame you (laughs) so anyway what I got from her was just the most unconditional love and support and I hold her in my heart all the time every day so she basically got like the post-it note that was I'm sorry but I can't yeah after 50 years after 50 years. The craziest thing is when we moved her out of her house, um, I, we were going through, you know, all of her stuff, of course, and bringing stuff to the facility where she was going to spend the last, the last few months of her life. And uh, I found the note that my grandfather left her. And the thing that was crazy about it is that it said, um, dear toots, which was the way that he referred to her. That was his pet name for her, dear toots. Um, I've taken the Neosporin. 
was the first line. Like he took the Neosporin, I guess he had what, a blister? And then he, that was what he left her literally on, on the pillow as a goodbye after 50 years. I'm actually speechless. Um, but like, is, is like Neosporin like symbolic for anything? Like it like... No, I think it was just like he just wanted it. And so he took it. He didn't take, by the way, anything else. He didn't take pictures. He didn't take like nothing. I mean, it's, it's, it's so, um, you know, it's such an interesting thing about humanity. And I think they had for a long time been, you know, many, many years, as far as my grandfather was concerned, basically he never wanted to get married to her, which I don't think is true. But, you know, they had four kids and my dad's the oldest of four. And it's like, um, you know, they just, can you hear the bathroom construction? I, I can, but I, I, you know what? Is it we're a keep, problem? We're keeping it live and we're keeping okay, it. Okay, great. We're keeping it real. <laughs> and uh, I think you're, I think you're establishing goals for all of us listening yeah. that we, that we'll have a bathroom that we can reconstruct one day. Yes. One day. I will say um, we haven't had a, a bathroom since October, working bathroom in our hallway. And, uh, and uh, it's, it's, um, it's an adventure in plumbing and it's happening live so that you can hear it. Anyway, yeah. yes. So my, my grandfather left and he left a note on the pillow asking to, saying that he was taking the Neosporin and then my grandmother was devastated and then went on to like do incredible things, inclu- including like taking a trip by herself to Machu Picchu. And like, she just is the, yeah, she's just my total hero in life. And although she did not gift me a lime green cashmere sweater, I do feel she gave me an emotional lime green cashmere sweater. And she also gave you a, 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 a saw that you can use in the background in your bathroom. Exactly. For the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Um, that is what a wild story. I'm actually a little obsessed with that, especially with how, um, people can change overnight or like what's their intention and it actually is kind of interesting right because like you are one of the most sought after beloved directors of our time and of course I had to snag you for my book how to be a multi-hyphenate in the theater business and we had a uh and I interviewed you for the book um a few months ago <clears throat> wow nodes and um a few months ago, and you know, you said something brilliant about the question that I asked you regarding the the why. And you said, I will give you the exact quote. You said, I think about why a lot because obviously it changes in some ways every day, and some days it doesn't. Um, it's the only place I can be myself. I direct to try to understand the world in a different way. I look to theater makers to hold up a mirror to myself and society. And it's been the place for me that has been the most, uh, that has been the most hope, optimism and relution. Do you still agree with that sentiment that you said, or do you think it's changed at all? Mm. You know, it's one of the things that's been the most challenging about COVID, right? Mm -hmm. Is that those things that we expected and wanted and thought would always be there from the theater we're not. And it is, I think in the fun house of this time, 
a very, very hard thing to feel like the job that you do and the way that you do it and the life that you've chosen as your North Star is not there. And not only like a thing that you always felt like was essential, but that you really start to understand the word essential and you understand it differently and you understand that it doesn't include you. And that is a hard thing, I think, for theater makers, or at least for me, I can't speak for everybody, to grapple with. But yes, I still think it's true. I think it is what theater does best. And I can say right now that working on the search for signs is doing exactly that. It is a play that deals with a kind of existential anxiety and dread. It's a play that deals with people who are searching for meaning at a time that feels meaningless. Um, it does it through humor and it does it through pathos and it does it through a celebration of community and live theater. And I can really, it's, it's the reason why I wanted to do the play. I, I couldn't imagine coming back to the theater and doing any other play because this play articulates and recognizes the power of being together in a room full of strangers in the dark, laughing and crying about the same things. I just quoted the play. But that's, what the, that's really what this show does, is it celebrates the power of live theater. And I felt like, okay, we've learned. We're not essential. We've learned. Sometimes the show doesn't go on. We've learned. Sometimes we aren't first emotional responders. But we do do something. And this is what we do. And the way that the industry is built too, the sort of there's like a classism in within the industry as well that even the 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 um, the essential things that are happening in the industry, when one is left out, and I'm speaking, I can only speak on my experience. It feels like, well, maybe I didn't make as as big of an impact in the industry as I thought I had, or maybe people actually don't see me as as uh, an influential person in this industry. Like, what have I done? Like, why wasn't I invited to that? Like, why wasn't I asked to be a part of that? It's still, there is still um, a those questions that we're asking ourselves, I think, even when the industry is finding a way to uh, create and exist even when our resources are taken away. I mean, like, what a, t what a time to be in the theater. I mean, I know it's tough, and but the one thing that's getting me through it is that, like, one day I hope I'm interviewed for PBS, and it's literally like a, they ask me about this time, and I'm like, ah, oh, yes, the pandemic, you know, and just have some really, yeah. really just wonderful things to say about what I learned. Totally. You know, that's the one thing that's sort of keeping me going. If not, then I think I would become an Imagineer at Disney by now. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I just, I always, whenever I see your work or whenever I, I, I think of you, I think of a strong connection to the why. And that's why I love that story that you shared because it, it made me go, why? Why did he, why did he leave? What was, what was the impulse and what was going on? And, and, and that's something that I think you're so brilliant at is always connecting storytelling to what you're doing or what's going on in the moment. And um, I'm, you know, I'm so excited to see uh, signs I haven't yet but oh yeah, you got to get there. I know, but I'm a huge, you know, Lily Tomlin fan. So it's sort of sure. like, you know, I've, I was like always like, I wish I could have seen Lily do that. And now 
we have Cecily Strong doing this. And what, I mean, I, I don't want to ask any like really basic questions of being like, what was it like working with Cecily or like what's different between this production and Lily Tom? But genuinely, I think I just want to open it up to like your experience on this play. What were the, what, what are the, what were the, um, what were the, 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 uh, I don't want to say tensions, but the things that maybe you thought were going to be easier, but actually turned out to be difficult. The things that were challenging, the things that, you learned. I would love to know more about how one of our most beloved directors of our time approached this piece. Thank you so much for saying all of that and for your curiosity. I mean, I, I think I, yeah, I, so I feel like we've talked about why I wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like the challenges were, were many and they fell into many different categories because we worship Jane Wagner and Lily Tomlin. It's mm -hmm. a seminal piece of work. Mm -hmm. How do you step into those shoes? Um, how do you even get on a Zoom with Jane Wagner and Lily Tomlin and not like lose your shit, which I still do all the time. Um, lose my shit and get on a Zoom with them. Um, I felt like and Cecily felt that we wanted to honor what they did, that, that we are such fangirls of the piece and of them, but also we had to make it our own in order to really do it. And that is just a really, you know, I, I will say also because I've done, I don't know, 57, 58 new plays and musicals, like I, I rarely find myself in the, in the position of saying, how do I make it my own? And so that was very new for me. Um, it was new to feel a kind of um, deep love and appreciation for a piece and also know that there were parts of it we could not bring forward into 2022. Wow. Yeah. And that there were characters, there were lines, things that were said that would just not resonate with an audience in the same way that they were intended. and. It was a different time when the piece was written. Jane started working on it in 1977. Some of the characters do not, um, either because we were compressing it down into a one act, either they just didn't matter enough inside of the ultimate story mm -hmm. to warrant being brought forward, or there were there was things that would resonate with people differently, um, that we weren't sure if we could attend to the impact of what was being spoken of and said inside of the show itself. Um, and also just forget the content, like the show was built around Lily mm -hmm. and the show was built around who Lily was, who she was as a comedian and was built around a kind of like, you know, she, performed these characters in in comedy clubs for years and you know that's not really the way generally people make a, a play you know and so sort of what was important to hold on to and that was really the work that Jane and I did together um and then there was just like okay we know we have there's a character of Agnes Angst and we know who Agnes Angst was in the 80s, but who is Agnes Angst of 2022? Mm -hmm. What does she look like? 
how does she perform? What kind of venue is she performing in? What would that be? Um, so there was people and characters that we knew were timeless, but mm -hmm. how do you locate that timelessness inside of now? And then I think there's just the process of mind melding with another performer, which I've done. I've done many solo shows and I've certainly had the experience of um, creating work with incredible, you know, Billy Crudup and Judith Light, Marina Ireland, who I've done solo shows with. And, and Cecily is, um, you know, a, a renowned performer and comedian and has been on SNL for 10 years, but hasn't done a play in New York. And I didn't, I didn't know what it would be like to work with her. And I, I'll tell you my, one of my big, I, I made so many, I had so many misconceptions about her, but I will say my biggest is that I was really fixated on this idea that after 10 years on SNL, her retention would be very low, like that she would be very high as a flash fry, you know, because it was like, she has to learn new material every week. She learns material day of, you know, they don't even write the opening, the cold opening until like day of. So it's like, you know, I just was like, she's going to be so good day to day, but that there's going to be absolutely no growth. There's only going to be like, it's going to be a real problem, both in terms of like how things deepen, but also in terms of how she remembers. I was, couldn't have been more wrong. Like, couldn't have been more wrong. Like we met, we had these weekly sessions leading up to the rehearsal process starting in early September. And every week it would be deeper. She would know more. She would have more questions. And then we started rehearsals the week of Thanksgiving and every day built on the last. She had no problems with memory. She's had no problems with retention. And then I was so concerned because we started previews December 21st. And I was like, we're gonna do three shows. Then we're going to go away for four days for the holidays. We're going to come back. The muscle's going to be gone. Not only was the muscle not gone, it was stronger than it had been before we left. I don't know how she did it. it to me, that is like a feat of impossibility without an audience there to teach you where the show is going and how it's working. She was better on that fourth preview than she had been on the third, and it has kept going every day. New things, new confidences, new deepenings, new awarenesses, new understandings, new epiphanies on stage, more alive, more in tune, more in touch. There's never been a step back. I've never seen anything like it. So that was the way that I was the most wrong about Cecily Strong. That's incredible. Um, it opens up this question of the director working with the multi-hyphenate. This podcast is about multi-hyphenates and it's brought to you by a multi-hyphenate. You know, I'm an actor, photographer, producer, writer, podcaster. And there's, of course, the old staple that's, you know, um, uh, jack of all trades, master of none, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I really do believe that the multi-hyphenate strengthens each hyphen for a multitude of reasons, one being that they all have to affect each other. They all have to lift each other higher. You can't just have different hobbies and say that you're multi-hyphenate. I think like they all have to affect each other. They have to bring life to each other. They have to support each other. So do you feel, because Cecily is absolutely a multi-hyphenate writer, producer, you know, she's an executive producer on, on Schmigadoon and she, you know, she writes and she performs. She's absolutely multi-hyphenate. Do you think do you feel directing multi-hyphenates, this is from a director standpoint, in the audition room, in um, the rehearsal room, wherever, do you feel directing multi-hyphenates has 
has is a different sort of experience from other people in the room or do you think it's it's the same do you think do you notice a difference or uh, and and what is it like for you to work with multi-hyphenates in the in the rehearsal room yeah i mean i always i i feel like my whole much of my career is spent working with multi-hyphenates you know right now i'm I'm about to start rehearsal on shana taub's musical sups where she wrote the book music lyrics she's in it she's the star you know she's she's all up in it um you know and in the same way i feel like um it it is always you know lisa crone i mean there's so many people david greenspan david kale people that i work with who are multi-hyphenates and i think it's always amazing to me um and delightful when I can say, okay, can you just take that hat off and be this person? Okay, no, take that hat off and be that, you know, and that there's this way in which we can constantly um, talk about the work from different perspectives. And I think that one of the great gifts of this process with Cecily is that she's a writer, she's a performer. We could, and because we were coming at the piece from a place of like, um, deep dramaturgical investigation. We could look at each other and say, how is this working? What does Jane intend? We would go to Jane. We would propose a trim or a cut or a reordering. She would respond. She would do new writing. So it felt like sometimes I was in a room with two writers and sometimes I was in the room with one performer and it felt every day like it allowed the process to feel really organic and rich. That's amazing. Because I think, I think, you know, there are people listening that are scared to dip their toes into the multi-hyphenate life. Like, um, I was just talking uh, on an Instagram live last night about when I started discovering that I was a multi-hyphenate. And it was from my teacher, Elena Garcia, who was a guest on this, on this podcast, um, you know, about a year ago. And she provided us with our um uh the the final of sophomore year was we had to write our own one person shows and then produce them and direct each other's and design each other's so it was a literal multi-hyphenate experience within our classroom so when i sort of went to ithaca and when i went moved to the city i had this mindset of like yeah i'm an actor but i'm also interested in producing i'm also interested in telling the story from a different perspective. And I think even if you are hired, like Cecily or whoever is doing a one-person show, even if you are hired to just perform that one role as the actor, you still have the mindset to approach the piece and be like, okay, what, what does that look like from a marketing perspective? What does that look like from a directorial perspective? What does that look like from um, a design element? And I think it can only help the experience so long as you have boundaries with yourself, I think. I think if you start, if you start to cross those boundaries within your team, okay, you're not hired to be a co-director. You're hired to be the actor, but tap into the mindset if if you need to, at least you have that experience and that, and that pathos, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. uh, I, I think it requires, you know, it's perfect for the experience, but it, you just have, it requires boundaries and requires, you know, uh, taking care of your fellow artists as well. Totally. Totally. Uh, 
I'm really uh, I'm really excited to see the show, but I'm also super excited about Suffs. Rachel Sussman is a dear friend, and for Remy, my boyfriend, I just uh, got him one of his Hanukkah Christmas presents is tickets to the final dress of Suffs. Oh, yay! So we're going to be there, the final dress, very excited, can't wait. And uh, you just gave me an idea that I need to ask Shana if she should be on the podcast. Yes, she should. Yes, she should. Um, I really, uh, I'm so excited. And also that makes me really nervous, but also really excited. Oh my God. It's all coming up. It's all so exciting. Um, Lee, this is, this has been an absolute pleasure. If there's one thing that you can send to budding multi-hyphenates or established multi-hyphenates, especially those that have, especially those that have director in their hyphenate list, in their hyphens, uh, in their persona, what is something that you would like to send them off with? Um, God, that's, I mean, look, I feel like thick skin. I feel like um, robust love for what you do. Robust. And uh, I don't know, I feel like right now we're in a, I would never have said this at another time, but faith. Wow, yeah. And whatever that means to you. But like I was just saying, actually about going into rehearsal on this massive musical right now, it is like an act of defiance. It is an act of stamina and it is an act of faith. And that's, I wish that for, for all of us. That's beautiful. Lee, thank you so much. Is there any way we can find you on social media? Any way that we can drop you a note if we have any questions or anything like that? Yes. I, um, I'm on Instagram. I think I'm Silverly on Instagram. And, um, and you know my email. And if you don't know it, I'll send it to you. Thank you. You are the absolute best. And we cannot wait to see signs. And we cannot wait to see Suffs. You light up every single room you walk into, including my life. And thank you so much for being so supportive. You're the absolute best. Michael, you're the best. Thank you. Thank you for wearing that sweater. Of course. Thanks, Lee. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.